talking about for several weeks now in our sermons. And I hope the time we all spend here together today is strengthening and uplifting and beneficial for us and that we can all uh, leave here saying like those of old that it was good to have gone to the house of the Lord. I want to make a brief announcement as we begin here. Some of you are aware of this, but in keeping with our lesson today, which is on singing in the assembly, we are going to be having a singing seminar May 3rd through 5th. That's the first weekend in May, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's called Singing with the Spirit. It's conducted by a fellow named Myron Bruce. And he'll be doing a couple of sessions that Friday night, Saturday morning. Saturday evening we'll have an area-wide congregational singing. And then uh, Sunday he'll be doing some things in conjunction with our services. But the whole point of this is to try to get us to focus more on what we're doing when we sing, why we sing, and how important this is in our worship, and just to improve our ability uh, to do that collectively. And so I'd encourage you to, to mark that on your calendar. It's far enough in advance now and that you should be able to move anything that conflicts with it out of the way. We set it there before summer so you won't be out of town. It's not in the fall, so you won't have a football game that Friday night to conflict with it. So go ahead and make your plans to be there and to be part of that on that weekend and keep that effort uh, in your prayers. On the night that he was betrayed, Philip talked about this a few moments ago in his communion meditation. Jesus ate the Passover meal with his disciples for the final time. And at that meal, he instituted the Lord's Supper. And at the conclusion of that meal, in the very next verse after the one Philip read in Matthew chapter 26, it says that when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Have you ever wondered what they sang? Almost certainly it was one of the Psalms, although we don't have any idea which one it was. And, and I don't know how they went about doing it, if Jesus started and they all joined in, or if maybe he called on Peter or John or one of the others to begin a song. But what we do know is that Jesus and his apostles sang together. Many years later, the apostle Paul was in prison in Philippi, and he and his traveling companion Silas were bound there in the stocks in that Roman prison. And we're told in Acts chapter 16 that at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God. And again, thinking about this, I can't help but wonder what sort of effect did that have on their fellow prisoners when they heard these guys in the cell next door at midnight singing praises to God. I can't help but think that must have affected them in some way because when the cell doors were miraculously thrown open, everyone stayed put. This same Paul writing in his first letter to the church in Corinth, says, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. To the church in Ephesus, he instructed them that they needed to be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. And in his brief letter, James, the brother of Jesus, taught, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. All of these passages indicate, if nothing else, that the early Christians were a singing people. They sang as they walked on their journeys. 
They lifted their voices in song to God as they went about their daily work as opportunity permitted. This was part of their regular religious life. But some of these passages also indicate that this was an activity that Christians engaged in when they assembled together. Think about that first one that we read from Matthew's gospel. That was Jesus and the apostles. This is a sort of prototypical church gathering here. In 1 Corinthians 14 that we read, that entire chapter, Paul is dealing with the context of issues in the assembly and regulating what they do when they come together. Those passages from Ephesians and the one from Colossians that was read a few moments ago as our scripture reading, those have to do with daily life, but he's drawing on practices from the assembly when we're singing to one another. In short, singing was an important part of the worship assembly for early Christians. And that singing was never just habit. It wasn't perfunctory. It was meaningful. It was worshipful. They sang in the name of Christ. And much like we talked about with prayer in Jesus' name last week, that means they sang as people who are committed to the mission of Christ. They sang as people who are submissive to the will of Christ. They sang as people who want to glorify and honor Christ. They sang with the Spirit. They sang with the understanding or with their minds. We want to talk about our singing together this morning, and in keeping with the emphasis we've given in these other lessons, what we're really asking here is, what are we doing when we sing? Why do we sing? What's the purpose of this activity when we gather together? Well, first of all, singing is a way of preaching and teaching Christ. Christ is both the ground and the content of Christian song, and to put that simply, that means that when Christians sing, we sing about Christ. So if we sing in praise of God, it's most prominently praising Him for what He's done in Christ. If we sing about the Holy Spirit, we're singing about the Spirit as the gift that was poured out by Christ. If we sing songs that help to instruct or build up one another, tell us how to live our lives, well, we're instructing in the life that we live in Christ. Scholars have identified a, a number of places where they think the New Testament has early Christian hymns embedded in it, and without getting lost into how they identify those, the ones that they've identified, for example, in Colossians chapter 1, he's the firstborn of all creation, the image of the invisible God, etc. Or in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, and he goes on from there. There are others. But the point is, all of these places where they think they've identified early hymns that Paul in particular has included in his letters, they're all about Christ. So when we come together as the body of Christ, we're preaching Jesus to everyone who's gathered here. Do you think about that? You think about the words of the songs that we sing? We've done that today. Why did my Savior come to earth and to the humble go? Why did he choose a lowly birth? Because he loved me so. Why did he drink the bitter cup of sorrow, pain, and woe? Why on the cross be lifted up? Because he loved me so. He gave his precious life for me. For me. Because he loved me so. 
And this reminds us further that when we're singing, we're not just directing it in praise to God. There's not just this vertical dimension. There's a horizontal component to our singing too. When we're singing, we're also addressing one another. We're teaching, we're instructing, we're admonishing, we're building one another up. Ephesians 5.19, we read a few moments ago, refers to addressing one another in our songs. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in verse 26, Paul is talking about activities in the assembly, and it's all disorganized. He mentions people coming with a song and this and that and the other, and he says that all things need to be done for building up, for edification. And he also tells us in that chapter what builds up. It's sound speech. It's instruction. It's not just a good feeling that we get. You know, those in Corinth in that chapter they thought that the best spiritual gift you could have is to be able to speak in tongues. And Paul says, well, speaking in tongues is great, but it's useless in a church meeting if there's no one there to interpret it. If you're talking in a tongue, you're really just directing it to God, but you need to be directing your message to everyone. And he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you, and yet in church I would rather speak five words with my mind to instruct than 10,000 words in a tongue. Edification comes from instruction and understanding what's said. The melody's important, sure, but it's secondary to what's actually said. In Colossians 3, verse 16, that makes explicit that connection of teaching with singing. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing each other in all wisdom. We read that a few moments ago. Singing those psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to the Lord. So we might think not only of, of songs that teach, but that actually instruct and admonish Christians. I think of an old hymn that most of us probably know, Take Time to Be Holy, Speak Oft with Thy Lord, Abide in Him Always, and Feed on His Word. Make friends of God's children, help those who are weak, forgetting in nothing His blessings to seek. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus like him thou shalt be. My friends, in thy conduct, his likeness shall see. One of the primary reasons we gather together, the Hebrews writer says it in Hebrews chapter 10, is to encourage one another, to stir each other up, to love and to good works. And one of the main ways that we can do that is through our singing. When we come together, we encourage each other in our songs and in other ways to live the sort of lives that we ought as Christ people. So singing is one of these ways that we instruct and that we build each other up as a community of faith. Secondly, singing is a confession of faith. In ancient times, singing was closely related to prayer. And you can see that even in some of the passages that we've mentioned. Paul connects it with prayer in 1 Corinthians 14, singing and praying with the spirit and with the mind. James connects them together in chapter 5. And when we think about that, we can realize that those components of prayer we talked about last week, if you were here, are also applicable to our singing. That is the acronym ACTS, Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. We can keep those things in mind when we sing too. But when we recognize those attributes, we realize that singing is a way we acknowledge or we confess God. 
The Hebrews writer, in Hebrews 13, in verse number 15, he employs a word there that can be translated as acknowledge or confess or praise. And I'm going to read to you the way the Amplified Version translates this verse. Through him, therefore, let us constantly and at all times offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of lips that thankfully acknowledges and confess and glorifies his name. The Psalms often connect singing with confessing or acknowledging or praising God, which is fitting because, of course, the Psalms are songs in themselves. This is the ancient hymn book of Israel. But they don't just do it that way. They often make it explicit in the things that they say. Uh, For instance, the 18th Psalm, verse 49, For this I will praise you, O Lord God, among the nations, and sing to your name. So singing is a way of praising God, acknowledging God, confessing our faith in God. One of the most beautiful hymns that does this, in my opinion, holy, holy, holy. It's taken right from Revelation and from Isaiah. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God over all and blessed eternally. Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, only thou art holy. There's none beside thee, perfect in power, in love, in purity. That's sheer praise and adoration, confessing faith in God. Or think about another one that we sang this morning. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then, in response to that, sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Songs like this of praise, of adoration, of thanksgiving, pay tribute to our Creator and to our Savior. The Hebrews writer, remember, calls these a spiritual sacrifice. And our singing is often connected with the Spirit in the New Testament. I'll sing with the Spirit, Paul says. It's called a a spiritual song at other places. The singing of the church is a spiritual activity, in other words. And it's one of those sacrifices, those offerings, that for Christians replaces the sacrifices that you'd make under the law of Moses. And it's a privilege that is available to us continually. We can always offer this up to God. Third, singing exemplifies the unity of the church. When the church comes together and in unison we lift our voices up to God, it demonstrates that we are one, that we are his people. It symbolizes that unity that we have. I think of what Paul says, Romans 15 verse 6, together you may with one voice Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Singing expresses that we're all members of this one body and that we're committed to our one Lord and that we're committed to each other. You see, singing not only expresses that unity symbolically, it actually helps to bring it about. Somehow or another, and I suppose God knows this, but singing together is something that actually helps to create unity and solidarity 
among groups. And that's why so many different groups encourage songs to be sung together. Countries have patriotic songs that try to inculcate the love of your homeland and to try to to serve it. Political parties in the past have had songs. Clubs have songs that they sing. Uh, The Rotary Club has a whole songbook of songs about Rotary, and they begin each meeting with a song. And I don't know them all, but, uh, you know, R-O-T-A-R-Y, that spells Rotary. Some of you know that one. I didn't say they're imaginative, but they have all these songs. Schools in particular are where we see this. At the University of Texas, we sing this at other times, but before every football game and after every football game, we would always sing in unison the eyes of Texas because that's a powerful reminder. It helps to shape our identity. This team, this institution, we're representatives of this great state. At Texas A&M, they sing the Aggie War Hymn, which is all about the University of Texas because it helps create this collective Aggie identity of an inferiority complex. (laughs) I couldn't resist that. (laughs) The point is, songs shape us and they form us. On a more serious note, think about hymns like, we're one in the spirit, we are one in the Lord and we pray that our unity may someday be restored, and they'll know we're Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we're Christians by our love. Fourth, and finally, singing involves the whole person. And a lot of the passages that we've looked at help to emphasize this wholeness. It involves the spirit and the mind, 1 Corinthians 14, 15. It involves words from the heart, those passages in Ephesians and Colossians. It involves the lips, Hebrews 13, verse 15. Singing engages the mind, it engages the heart, it engages the organs of speech. So we're talking here about your intellect, your emotions, your logical faculties, and the physical self. All of these things here are involved. The tongue is the instrument on which we praise God, and we do that from the heart, and we do that intelligibly. We might think of some songs that we sing that illustrate this complete devotion to God. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I'm the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I'm waiting, yielded and still. But singing also involves the whole person in that it expresses deep religious emotions. We mentioned James 5.13 already where he says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs of praise. Well, music, we know, helps add to the impact of what's being expressed in a song. That is, the words are of primary importance and the, the melody, the singing should never obscure that, but it can help add to the quality of it. And so we can think of some hymns that we sing that express that cheerfulness. There's a number of them in the title. Sing and be happy. I'm happy today. There's sunshine in my soul today. On and on we could go with that. When I think of deep religious emotion, I think particularly of petitions to God when we realize our own helplessness in comparison. It's a favorite hymn of my great-grandmother. Be with me, Lord. I cannot live without thee. I dare not try to take one step alone. I cannot bear the loads of life unaided. I need thy strength to lean myself upon. We could continue on like this, 
And we could give numerous examples of hymns, but what we've seen as we've looked back is that the early Christians often sang hymns. They sang them in praise to God. They sang them in instruction to one another. We should note as we close this lesson that everything we've talked about here in this doctrinal study is specifically applicable to vocal music. Using instruments in worship doesn't meet this criteria of things that are instructive, things that are edifying and build up, things that are spiritual, things that are rational in worship. We preach and teach Christ and we confess our faith in the words that we use. We demonstrate that oneness, that unity of the church when we all lift our voices together. And we do that with our whole self, the instrument that God has created rather than any man-made imitation of it. We could talk about that in more detail. That's not really the point of this lesson. But what I do want us to see is that an emphasis on the practice of a cappella isn't just tied to one verse here or there, proof texted, ripped out of context. And I'm not even so interested in saying, uh, as we often have, you know, saying, well, it says to sing, and so you shouldn't do anything else. Well, more importantly, singing fulfills these things theologically that we've talked about. Worshiping with instruments doesn't do these things. We can make a good, positive case for why we ought to be singing and just leave the rest of that aside. And I think that that's an even more beneficial way to look at it. I hope that everyone here can get a, a deeper appreciation, more meaningful sense of the hymns that we sing. Every Christian's commanded to sing. If you're not, you know who you are. You're missing out on something that God wants you to be doing, but, but more than that, something that's a great benefit to us. And it doesn't matter that you don't have any great musical ability. I've said this before, but the Hebrews writer compares the sacrifice of the fruit of our lips to the sacrifices of the Old Testament. If God can be pleased with the smell of whole burning animals, all of that hair and all that blood and everything on fire, then the fact that you can't carry a tune in a bucket must still somehow be pleasing to him. He wants you to sing from the heart. And when you don't do that, you're failing to instruct your brothers and sisters here as you ought. Now, with all that said, we still should try to do our best because the way that we worship here sets the tone and it helps to direct our thoughts and our minds. And with that in mind, that's why we're going to have this seminar here in a few months. But even there, he's going to focus more on what it is that we're saying and why we're singing, the way that we've talked about today. We need to think of the meaning of each song. We need to meditate on on its message. We need to make sure that our hearts are properly tuned with the messages that we're conveying, and we need to enter into our singing with feeling and with enthusiasm. You know, in a sense, we often sing above our present reality in some of the songs that we sing. By that, I mean singing is, is aspirational. We voice sentiments that are maybe above what we feel all the time maybe more Christian, if we can put it that way, than what we're thinking at all times. But in singing, God helps to lift us up to this higher plane and to see what we can be in him. I would encourage none of us to ever miss out on that. Let's pray, let's work that our singing can be a blessing to everyone here and that it can be a sacrifice of praise to our God. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. You're not someone who worships God, who comes before him and sings to him as your father. This lesson today hasn't primarily been evangelistic, but I want you to know that the main reason we can sing to God and praise God for what he's done in Christ is the fact that you're lost in sin, but Jesus came into this world and died for you so that you could be reconciled to God. And if you haven't ever done it before, I want to encourage you to put your faith, your trust in him, to turn to God in repentance and to be buried in the waters of baptism and have your sins washed away. Be added to this one body that sings his praise. Maybe you're here this morning, you already are a Christian. There's some sin in your life separating from you, you from God, and you need to make changes this morning. Whatever your need may be, it's the Lord's invitation while we stand and while we sing.